0: But you are now planning on a conference bitcoin for corporations what has um, the response from other companies been what are you expecting in terms of this conference
1: we're going to have thousands of executives officers and directors and advisors of corporations coming together in the first week of february they all want to figure out how to plug bitcoin into their balance sheet or their pnl We're gonna publish our playbook, uh, all of our accounting guidance, our legal guidance, all the work we did over the course of months in order to get ready to do this as a publicly traded company. And we're gonna open source it and make it available to everybody with the thought of saving each of them millions of dollars and weeks if not months in order to make this an easier transition. Who's going? Um, It's gonna be a great event. Who's going? (laughs) I can't tell you now, but you'll find out. You're welcome to come. Ok, Michael Saylor, I may just take you up on that. Thank
2: you. Qui dove il mare luci e tira forte il vento su una vecchia terrazza davanti al golfo di sorriente. Un uomo abbraccia una ragazza dopo che aveva piglia. Ohi si schiarisce la voce e ricomincia il canto te voglio bene assa ma tanto te tanto... scioglie il sangue di te ve vide le luci in mezzo al mare penso le notti là in America ma erano solo le lampare e la bianca scia tunelica il dolore della musica si alzò dal piano forte ma quando vide la luna uscire da una nuvola mi sembrò più dolce della morte guardò negli occhi la ragazza quegli occhi verdi come il mare poi all'improvviso usì una lacrima e lui credette d'affogare what <speaking in Spanish> are Il dramma è un falso E con un po' di trucco e con la mimica Puoi diventare un altro Ma due occhi che ti guardano Così vicini e feri Ti fai scordare le parole Confondono i pensieri Così diventa tutto piccolo anche le notti là in America ti volti e vedi la tua vita come la scia tunelica ma si sì, è la vita che finisce ma lui non ci pensò poi tanto anzi si sentiva già felice e ricominciò il suo canto. Devo imparlarci, ma tanto, tanto bene è
3: Welcome to the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. This is your co-host, Pierre Oshard. I'm the Bitcoin strategist at Kraken, one of the leading Bitcoin exchanges, and also on the advisory board of Riot Blockchain, one of the leading Bitcoin mining companies. And I'm joined here with my co-host, Michael Goldstein, aka Bitscene, the meme genius himself. How are you, Michael? (laughs) I'm doing great, thanks. And we're joined today with Mr. Scaramucci that you might know by The Mooch. And uh, we're very honored to to have you here on the show today. How are you?
1: I'm I'm Pierre. I'm doing great. Michael, what's going on? We're not going to see your handsome face. What are you What are you doing? You're in. Your I, I don't
0: have my webcam
1: set up on this computer. You're in your You're in your basement in your robe. You could tell us. I, I might be in my underwear. Are you, are you the guy ag- aggravating Donald Trump in the basement? The 400 pound guy, or no? How How much is this? Well, guy I'm pretty.
0: I'm a, I'm a I'm a small guy. So he was actually referring to a team of okay. four.
1: There's right, four right, of right, me. All I right. Never cloned. mind. I was just checking, Pierre. Is he a small guy or what? I've never met the guy before? What are we talking about here?
3: Uh, big brain, small body.
1: All right. All right. Good to know. Thank <laughs> you guys so much for having me on the cast.
3: Yeah. Thanks for coming on again. Um, so uh, lots, lots of different things we could talk about. Um, obviously, we're going to hit on Bitcoin. Um, I, I, I kind of want to talk about the intersection between Bitcoin and politics, um, because there's a lot of different uh, views. One of the things that I find fascinating is that the um, extreme libertarians and the extreme status, let's call them, uh, agree on one thing, that the government is going to ban Bitcoin. Um, do you agree that the government's going to ban Bitcoin? Like, or, or is that just kind of a, a fallacy on whether it's on the left or the right of, of thinking that?
1: Okay, so again, I can only give you my 57 years of observation on planet Earth, my investment observation and my political observation is I can only guess at this. And so my guess is the government would love to ban Bitcoin. Uh, And I have a libertarian streak in my personality, but I'm also a pragmatist and a realist. And so when I sit back and look at the situation, uh, Lloyd Blankfein was on CNBC earlier today basically saying if he was a regulator, he'd be hyperventilating a Bitcoin success. Why? Because Bitcoin is an uncaged currency beast or store of value beast that has now been unleashed on the world. And there's 140-ish million people that understand what Bitcoin is. And if it gets to a half a billion or a billion, look out, Bitcoin is going to replace a lot of the things that are going on in the fiat currency world. So they want to regulate it. They want to ban it. Uh, but they won't be able to ban it. They will likely regulate it and they will likely figure out a way to tax it. Now you can go to the IRS forms now and you can, you know, you check the box if you own digital currency. And obviously if I trade out of my Bitcoin position, which I'm never going to do, God willing, uh, I have to pay a tax on my gains. So uh, three quick things. They will regulate it out of necessity and they will regulate it out of control. Number two They don't like it because it hurts them from the sanctioning business. You know, what the U.S. government did with the Treasury, there's a great book on this called Treasury Wars. Uh, They use the supremacy of the U.S. dollar as a sanctioning mechanism around the world to punish our adversaries. Uh, It worked to a great degree. Some of it backfired, but it worked to a great degree. Bitcoin sort of comes out and avoids that. Third point, and this is something I think the super smart people realize, this would be the Gary Genslers of the world, Stephen Mnuchin now departed from the treasury department, but they understand that there's almost like a curing mechanism to Bitcoin itself, the decentralization of Bitcoin in a weird way is gonna actually help governments because it's going to flatten the monetary standard around the world and it's gonna lead to less currency manipulation. And even though that will affect the United States in the short term, it's better for the United States in the long term. So the real intellects on the regulatory front recognize the long term value of having an exponential growth in Bitcoin. The answer, I'm sorry, Pierre, but I'm just trying to lay out for you everything that I've analyzed. There's
0: the uh, Californian representative, Brad Sherman, who uh, had come out and basically railed against Bitcoin in in a hearing, uh, validating all of the stuff that, you know, in the libertarian circles, Ron Paul had been talking about for years, and we were called crazy for saying, which is that, you know, uh, the US dollar is this tool for, uh, you know, uh, foreign policy dominance. When you say that it creates this leveling field, you know, like levels the field, uh, how does that benefit them?
1: Uh well, because if the if the field gets fairer, the irony of it is I'll take you back to Bretton Woods. If the field gets fairer and it's it's more conjoined as opposed to one person having supremacy, expectations start to settle and then businesses and politicians can operate off of that standard. So what's happening right now is U.S is flexing, Democratic, administration flexes a certain way, Republican administration flexes a different way, but if they can't flex as much, what ends up happening is, I'm let's say I'm a CEO, Fortune 50 company, and I have a very good understanding of what's going on and things have been standardized by Bitcoin, I now can take a five-year perspective on where I'm gonna be investing globally and what I'm gonna be doing with my business. Uh, One of the biggest problems going on in corporations globally is the, I don't want to call it whimsy, but I would say the capriciousness of central banking. You, 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 you're, you're one day being told in 2018 and 19, we're tightening. And then at the end of 2018, wait a minute, that was a disaster, we're expanding. Okay, oh, wait a minute, we're in a global pandemic. We're going to increase the money supply in the United States by 23.2%. Now, I'm telling you guys from corporate capital planning, This shit is very disruptive and you'd be way better off with having a flatter idea of what's going on. And so you may lose a little on sanctioning, uh, but you were gonna lose it anyway, okay? As the world, here's the greatest thing I can say about Bitcoin and the most optimistic thing I can say about the world, okay? as tech as we exponentially grow our technological platforms the world's going to get flatter and flatter and way more decentralized whether governments like that or not but in the long term that is in the best interest of the government even though somebody like Brad Sherman or somebody that wants to control things you know if you're a libertarian like me you're accepting that there's wisdom in the crowd uh, you're accepting that the central command post of a centralized government authoritarian is not going to be smarter than the abundance of that crowd. And so a result of which Bitcoin is allowing that to happen around the world, and long-term, that's a very good thing.
3: Yeah, to to expand on- Even um, even if
1: those guys in central planning, uh, Michael, don't agree with me, you're going to get to a location that's better for the world.
3: I agree with that. Um, And on on the point of sanctions, um, something that happened under the Trump administration was that uh, they wanted to sanction Iran more when Europe wanted to not do that, because Europe wanted to have a more constructive relationship with Iran and try to uh, move things in a different direction. And I really think that moving to a more multilateral world, um, NET is going to have better outcomes. Um, because if 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 the U.S. and Europe can't agree on who to sanction, then that person or government probably shouldn't be sanctioned, right? I think that uh, the U.S. and Europe should be able to agree on who the bad guys are. <laughs> uh, historically, they they kind of have. Uh, and so there's 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 that. Um, and you mentioned on the monetary policy side, the U.S. being the world reserve currency is. A blessing, but also a curse. And the curse is the deindustrialization of the U.S. It's that all of our, so much of our manufacturing base uh, has been uh, moved abroad uh, due to um, the the U.S. as a world reserve currency, where we export dollars instead of exporting goods and services, and then our supply chains are dependent on foreign uh, governments. And then that has national security implications if we can't control our supply
1: chains. Yeah, I mean, listen, very well stated. So let me step back, and I wanna give 80 years of geopolitical history here post-World War II, but you had an American century where America had industrial supremacy because of the devastation of the war, the Bretton Woods contract stabilized trade We went into heavy deficit spending in Vietnam, and so we had to bust that and really go full fiat in August of 1971. That's led to a 95, maybe more than that, 98.5% devaluation of the US dollar. And so two dollars today, I'm sorry, $100 today is buying roughly what $2 bought at that moment of decoupling. And so that gives you a significant understanding of how we've monetized our debt. If you... a macroeconomic policy that has crippled the middle and lower income people. If I own assets and you're demonetizing or you're monetizing, uh, my assets are gonna go up in value. My Hamptons real estate, my penthouse apartment, my my Monet, my Bitcoin, it's just gonna go up, up in value, particularly things that are scarce. But if I'm a wage earner and you're monetizing debt, I can't get ahead, there's no way. And you can look at the numbers. My dad was a crane operator in the 60s and 70s and 80s, if he had the same job today, 2021, his real economics are down 26%. And so on the backdrop of all of that, we've lost our ideological anchoring, whether our politicians wanna believe that or not. Mike Pompeo would be an example of this. He is a 1980s Ronald Reagan ideologically anchored person. Let's crush China, let's crush Iran. Let's crush hegemony. And let's crush authoritarians that we don't like. Okay, well, we had a lot more power to do that in the 80s. We don't have that power today. Some of it is our we've weakened ourselves through our policies. Some of it is the world just got better, you know, in terms of the industrialization of the rest of the world. Some of it is our own success. Because if you read this book in the time of the Americans, what did these people want to do? They were neo-Victorians and they were building a post-World War II America. And they said, if we're successful 80 to 100 years from now, there'll be a rising tide of living standards around the world. And that will ensure global peace, prosperity, and hopefully create a petri for democracy. So I'm being long-winded again, but three quick things. The ideological anchoring business of the United States is over, whether these people realize that or not. So for the new world, the United States has to, whether Mike Pompeo agrees with it or not, engage in multilateralism. And we have to figure out a way to incentivize poor actors in the system through that consensus building of multilateralism, okay? Last point, and this is a super important point. If we don't fix what's going on internally in the United States, we're going to exponentially decline from here. I'm not saying we're going the way of Argentina, but we could go the way of Great Britain, 1920 to 1990. That 70-year run, we could compress it in 15 years. And you know that would be a disaster for the United States. No reason for that. With 4% of the world's population, 25% of the world's output, the largest military, and still a standing, threatened but standing Democratic Republic, we could rebuild the United States from the inside and make the United States one of the big players in the world for the next century. It's not going to be what it was in 1946, but it can be something sensational with the right policies and the right leadership.
3: And, and really, I mean, my, my background, obviously, I'm, I'm from France with, with a name like Pierre Richard, uh, 1946 was not a a great place in in France. You know, it was uh, rubble and they had to rebuild. So it's it's not necessarily the case that we want the U.S. to be the only thriving uh, nation in the world and we want to have global prosperity.
1: Well, 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 we don't. And if anything, if you read that book in particular, the United States was very worried about France and the United States was very worried about West Germany and the U.K. And so we put... $13.7 $13.7 billion into the Marshall Plan to help rebuild those countries and their respective industries. Give you a sense of what that is today. It's like uh, it would have been, uh, it would have been uh, 170 billion US dollars, but as a percentage of GDP, it's like 7% of the GDP. So you have to think about the magnitude of that. And by the way, you know, was there some generosity to that? Perhaps, but it was also geopolitically necessary for the United States to protect those Western democracies, okay? So this was an argument I had with Mr. Trump uh, ad nauseum, probably why it only lasted 11 days, but when I was on the campaign with him and I tried to explain this nuanced strategy that yes, we are paying for those military bases, but it's cheaper, it's like a life insurance premium. It's cheaper than United States to pay for those military bases than it would be to be in a global conflict again. It's diffusing the tension around the world. But, you know, he was, he was too, you know, in, he lacked intellectual curiosity. He's an intellectually vacuous guy. He could never get beyond the simplistic idea of America first. It shouldn't be America first. It should be first for Americans, and it should be America together to build this secondary layer of framework. And, and by the way, Macron, whether you like Macron or not, I don't know what his approval rating is in, in France right now. But Macron and his foreign policy team actually got that, okay? And I think they handled Trump about as well as anybody could handle him, given the circumstances.
3: So w- one of the um, one of the problems, the one that's most relevant to our audience with the Trump administration was Mnuchin's stance with regards to Bitcoin. And uh, the kind of the midnight ruling that he tried to push through at the end of the administration to... Um, tighten kind of the, um, AML QIC, uh, beyond even the status quo for fiat, right? He tried to make it even more onerous for Bitcoin. Um, do you, do you have a read on, uh, I know that Yellen had a couple of comments about it in her testimony, but do you think that, uh, the, the stance is going to be different, uh, under Yellen than under Mnuchin?
1: so I'm, I'm just the reason i'm looking at my phone is i'm going to call up some proprietary content for you guys okay so this is i'm close to mnuchin i helped him build that treasury department him and i were very close on the campaign and i will say this about treasury whether you like what he's doing with bitcoin or not treasury was the lowest drama department of the trump administration and i would tell you something about steven because I know a lot about this, Uh, the world should be very happy that Stephen was there. If you thought he was a Trump sycophant, that's fine. It doesn't really matter. You had a safe pair of hands at treasury while the United States and the world was going through a global pandemic. And you had somebody that really understood the capital markets that was trying to help out. But one of his undersecretaries put together a talking points memo that was supplied to the transition team. So, this would be uh, Secretary Designee Yellen. And I think, I don't know if she's been confirmed yet, but let's just assume she's going to be Secretary of Treasury. Um, I'm going to read you the number one talking point. Okay. So, this is proprietary stuff just for you, Bitstein. So, pay attention. Okay. There's been a long mistaken narrative that cryptocurrency is only used for illicit activity. The facts show that that's simply not the case. Rather, cryptocurrency is currently used for a wide range of lawful activity that has the potential to transform financial services over the next decade. Points two, three, and four talk about Grayscale, Fidelity, PayPal, and Square, okay? And the ending of this talking point memo is basically recognizing that not only is Bitcoin here to stay, but the auspices of a digital yuan is probably gonna require some level of digitization for the U.S. dollar, okay? And so I hear what you're saying and I hear what Mnuchin did, but you're transforming the world again, okay? He's working off of a 2000 paradigm, that would be the Treasury's Wars book, pressure for sanctioning and pressure to see if they can contain the beast, This gentleman that wrote this for the transition team, I can't give you his name, but he's one of the undersecretaries for Stephen, uh, is basically saying whether you like it or not, the beast is out of the cage. And so what we need to do is we need to move to where the world is going, not to where we want the world to be or where the world once was. And so what he's calling for is a digitization of the U.S. dollar and a recognition that Bitcoin, the way gold has a place in the world of fiat currency, Bitcoin will have a place in a world that is eventually moving towards a digitization of governmental currency, okay? And so that's stuff in my wheelhouse that I just got from my boys at Treasury uh, over the weekend. Is that helpful, Pierre?
3: It, It is. So there's the digitization of the dollar, um, as kind of one, one of the policy directions. Um, and then there's on the, the KYC AML part, um, you know, the, the bank secrecy act, s- some have argued already that parts of it are unconstitutional, um, because mm-hmm. the, the right to privacy that we have and, and the, you know, um, uh, that you should get a warrant if you want to search, uh, something, um, mm-hmm. So that part, you know, we can leave that alone because it looks like that's frozen in place for now, uh, and that 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 proposal isn't moving forward. Um, and then there's, I think, broadly, the um, holding and mining part of policy, where today the government holds, I think it's three billion dollars worth of Bitcoin uh, that they seized uh, subsequent to uh, Silk Road. Um, but there's kind of a complex backstory there. Um, nevertheless, the U S marshals currently hold those Bitcoin. I I've written some, uh, a, a bill, uh, to make it so that they don't sell those Bitcoin so that they just hold them. Uh, you know, it's, it's very, it's a very concise bill because I don't have a view on what they should do with it later. I just don't think right. that they should sell it right now. Um, but well, I mean, yeah. the government will make money
1: off it if they decide not to sell it, but, 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 I think you're bringing, I think you're making an interesting point. Not to interrupt you, I just want to say this quickly because it's in my head. I wanted to make sure I explained this. And this is for all my libertarian friends out there. I'm very, very sorry you have non libertarians that you live with on planet Earth. And so what's going to happen is a lot of shit's going to go on that you don't like. But the very, very good news is that there'll be more technological transformation like Bitcoin that will keep the non libertarians in check. You know, this is almost like a self corrective. Idea Bitcoin is not just a cur- about the currency transfer, it's about keeping everybody honest in the system. Does that make sense to you guys? It,
3: it does. And we can look back at other technological revolutions that kind of had the same effect the printing press, uh, firearms, uh, where there's a leveling of the playing field. That- Powder, dynamite,
1: yep, all that stuff, yep. Um,
3: and, and so, um, they, the government lost a lot of money by selling uh, back in 2014. They sold uh, a lot of Bitcoin um, to Tim Draper. And so Tim Draper uh, benefited from, from the sales. And, and then on the, on the mining side, you know, we hear about Iran mining, uh, North Korea is mining Bitcoin, Venezuela is mining Bitcoin, um, all you know, adversaries, let's say, uh, broadly speaking, of, of the US and of uh, the values that we have. Um, but there's also a lot of Bitcoin mining in in the U.S. Um, in upstate New York, there's a, a huge facility uh, run by CoinMint that is uh, mining Bitcoin. Um, and then in Texas, it's developing also with natural gas flaring uh, being used more efficiently through Bitcoin mining. Um, do, do, do you think that, you know, the, the argument against it is the environmentalist argument, right? Of, well, you know, we don't want electricity consumption. Um but the argument for it is that if we don't mine those Bitcoin, somebody that we don't like is going to.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I read a study about the electrical consumption of Bitcoin and it's like a scant on a relative basis to the seven billion people that are consuming electricity. So I don't know where people are going with that you know, if you want to make this an environmental discussion, the bad news for everybody is we're having a frat party with the environment, okay? We're living in the environment on a Saturday night in the frat house and we want our kids to live in the frat house on Sunday morning after the bong water has been spilled on the rug and the, there's broken beer bottles everywhere. And so I don't know why we're doing that. That's a whole other topic. I'm not a hypocrite on that because if I can fly privately, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm flying privately, okay? I would prefer to avoid COVID and so I'm going to fly privately and people are mad at me about that, that's fine. Okay, work the entire system and change the entire system and then we'll, we'll go in a different direction. And people in our lifetimes are gonna be judged by people 300 years from now, the same way we're judging slaveholders. They're gonna look at you and me and Michael and say we were disgusting slobs that coked up the environment. So that's one topic. The mining topic is a separate topic, okay? It's, 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 it's inconsequential in my mind who gets those coins. What's consequential in my mind is that the network grows. So let's say the Chinese out electrify us and they get the last uh, 2 million coins that are available. Now let's say we've lost three plus million coins to USBs being put in dumpsters. And so we've got 18 million coins. Um, I think it's inconsequential. you tell me the number of people that are in the network, I can tell you where the price of those coins are gonna be. And right now, if you have 140 or 50 million people in the network, there's your price, but you're gonna end up with a billion people in this network, if not more than a billion people. And therefore this network should look and feel from a market cap perspective, like gold. If you're Michael Saylor and you've really smoked very hard on the Bitcoin bong you think it's better than gold. And so therefore, it's going to have a market cap larger than gold. But let's say Michael Saylor is wrong and I'm wrong. And let's say I'm 25% right. You still have this extraordinary opportunity in Bitcoin. And Bitcoin's not going anywhere. And the shit eaters that look at Bitcoin uh, and the shit sayers, I should say, not shit eaters, because they want you to eat the shit. But the shit sayers that are saying, oh, it's worthless. And it's this, and it's that, and the other thing. They don't understand it. And by the way, I was there. Like Michael Saylor, I was a Bitcoin skeptic in the beginning. And when I saw the coins at $400, I said, OK, that's an interesting thing. But if it's not scaled to a full network, it's not going to get that escape velocity necessary to become what everybody visionarily thinks it will be. And so for me, I'm more comfortable with Bitcoin at $35,000 a coin than I was at 400 guys, because I see the interconnectivity of Bitcoin now, and I see the exponential growth from here. It wasn't clear at 400, it was going to beat out the 6,500 competitors. You know, there was a gateway computer back in the day that was competing with Dell. Dell slayed all those guys and became Dell, but there were other competitors. Bitcoin has slayed its competitors. That's not to say that a few of these coins like Ethereum, et cetera, won't be successful. They likely will, but they won't be Bitcoin. Bitcoin is in a totally different league It is the Google, Facebook, Amazon. It is the, if Amazon is a retail network, Bitcoin is a monetary network. If Facebook is a social network, Bitcoin is a monetary network. If Google is a search and advertising network, well, Bitcoin is the monetary network.
0: Is there a particular moment or set of moments that uh, made you change your mind on Bitcoin dominance?
1: There was a criteria. It's a really good question. And so when the Winklevosses came to Salt, 2014, Bitcoin's trading at 400. I said, okay, yes, what you're saying does make sense. But I'm an institutional investor. Could I buy a few coins for my personal account? I could do that. But if you guys really know me, all my money is in my funds. I don't have any personal accounts. Everything's in my fund. And so what I said to the Winklevosses, if I'm, if you guys are right, I can still catch this in the early adoption phase when the proof of concept has been more formatted. Okay, so check one, number of users. Okay, check two, defense system, the defeat of 6,500 competitors. Okay, so in 12 years, it's defeated the the 6,500 competitors. And then check three, which was the most important check for me and for SkyBridge. Where the hell am I storing this? And can I store it on an institutional platform that's well defended? And the answer to that is yes. Whether it's Fidelity or NYDIG, let's just use Fidelity for a second because I'm an old fogey now and I'm an institutional investor. Fidelity is something that 60 and 70-year-olds like. Okay, they, It's been around forever. And you can put this in Fidelity Cold Storage, which Skybridge has partnered up with them to do. And then they have a layer of Lloyd's and London insurance on top of it so that the shit doesn't end up in a dumpster. Okay, so those three things, Michael, those were the catalysts for me. So if you said to me five years ago, well, Anthony, what's going to make you attracted to Bitcoin? Well, if you can get me through these three criteria, I'm ready to lock and load on a Bitcoin fund, and I'm ready to put Bitcoin in my portfolio. And so I have and I'm just looking at current market prices on the CNBC right now. I have about 300, we have at SkyBridge, I should say, not me. We have about $390 million of coin. We have about $79 million in a Bitcoin fund specific. And we have about $310 million across the SkyBridge platform. So you know, we're sitting on almost $400 million coin and I'm buying coin every month uh, and I'm adding coin into my personal account in the SkyBridge Bitcoin fund every month. And I don't see any reason why Bitcoin can't be $100,000 a coin at the end of the year if I'm right about the adoption cycle that's coming, and the stock flow chart that Plan B talks about, and some of the other analytics that we've done. Is that helpful in terms of understanding where our Eureka moment was? I, first thing I did, I'm, I got my ass fired from the White House. One of the best things that ever happened to me, ironically. At the time, I thought it was ridiculously shitty, but it was one of the best things that I made. I went back to Skybridge. The great news is, guys, when you have your own business, they can't fucking cancel you, right? So try to cancel me. Too bad. I have my own business. I went back to my own business. And the first thing I did was register the URL skybridgebitcoin.com. And my staff said, What the hell are you doing? I said, Well, I'm watching this thing. And then, by the way, as I was doing that, it crashed. It went from 20,000 to 3,000. And I said, okay, you got to go through it. You have to have that crash. Remember Amazon has lost at least 50% of its value six times since its initial public offering. Go look at the sloppy starts of Google and Facebook in the six months after their IPOs. You'll get the point that I'm making. This thing has won and I'm going to tell you guys something, uh, we 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 we're, we're getting into the early adoption phase. Okay, we're we're not even there yet. You have a 0.75 basis point saturation rate. If we can go to 5 or 8% saturation and get into the early adoption phase, go look at a technological S curve. You're not even at the back. You're not even close to the back end of where we could be on something like Bitcoin.
0: One thing that I find interesting about your story, uh, which is really great, and I'm, it's so cool to see that, uh, you know, Bitcoin was able to hit those criteria, when you talk to individuals, uh, the Bitcoin community, uh, pretty much everyone in Bitcoin has their regret story. I don't think I've ever met a Bitcoiner who doesn't have their, re- their regret story of like, oh, I first heard about Bitcoin on slash dot when it was $1 or, you know, when it was $10 or $100 or whatever, and they all wish they had been there. From your story, what's interesting is it sounds like you didn't care what it was $400. In fact, like it wasn't valuable to you at $400, um, even if uh, in hindsight you could have made that much uh, gains on it, because it's only useful to you once it's gotten to this, you know, 20,000 range. And going there forward, you're very excited. And given that, the people who are, you know, in my world that feel that regret of missing out on $1 should actually feel even more bullish and excited about what they do have because this thing hasn't even started.
1: Okay. So you said it way better than me, Michael, but let me just add one thing to that. Okay. I obviously, like everyone out in the world, I would have liked to have bought Amazon when it was an idea in Jeff Bezos's mind. You know what I mean? Of course. I'd love to have bought Bitcoin at $3 or whenever it, satoshi started uh putting these things out there of course so but here's the thing i will tell you about great investors i'm not saying i am a great investor but i'm always aspiring to become a better investor here's the thing i can tell you mark yourself to the market today cleanly okay and live in the present if i sit here and worry about every mistake i made every regret i have in my life uh the stupid fucking thing i said about steve bannon which was very funny and Obviously not true because you'd have to do hot yoga. You guys can look up what I said, uh, but he is an asshole. But if I if I go back and I regret every single thing that I did, uh, what am I going to do? I'm right here right now. It's late January 2021. Here is the world. Here is my life experience. This is what I've learned about planet Earth. And you're at an inflection point in Bitcoin. And I'm going to say this to you guys and you'll get it because I think you're in the same camp as me. And maybe this is too much. Confirmation bias. If you look Favorite at the kind chart, of bias, yeah, the exactly. If you look <laughs> at the chart on Amazon, and it was twelve years into Amazon's public company, look at the chart. You're like, whoa, I totally missed this thing. It went from one to whatever it did to and Bitcoin went from four hundred to thirty-five. I've totally missed this thing. And then if you bought Amazon in year twelve and you rode Amazon for the following twelve years, you had a sixty-four x return. Everybody understand that? So don't look in the past. Don't judge yourself by the past. Don't spend a fucking are you allowed a curse on this podcast. I'm assuming you are, right? <laughs> yes. Don't spend a fuck, okay, Don't spend a fucking moment on your regrets and your fucking this and that. Who cares? That's that's a waste of time and energy for your mind share. What you should be focused on is here's the front windshield, here is the opportunity. How am I going to exploit this opportunity for myself and my investors? And oh, by the way, maybe the three of us are going to be wrong. I'm not, you know, I'm not a, I'm not omniscient. I don't think we are, but maybe we're going to be wrong. So let me own a propitious amount of it. So that if I'm wrong, it doesn't destroy my life. doesn't destroy my funds. doesn't hurt, overly hurt my investors. But if I'm right, I've made a significant amount of money for everybody. And people look back and say, hey, you know, he got there late for a Bitcoiner, but he got there very early for an institutional investor who has an AARP card, which I fucking happen to have, which I bummed out about, it, to be honest. Right, so that's, my, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it.
3: I, I, I like that that view. Um, and it, it's also, it goes into the, uh, when is a technology mature enough to to hit the adoption curve? Um, cause I, I, get people coming to me with all sorts of different projects and they're saying, Hey, take a look at this, take a look at that. Um, if I took a look at everything, I wouldn't have time to, to do anything. Um, there's just too many things out there. So you got to wait until s- seeing, well, which ones are going to start bearing fruit. And, and then I'll get interested, uh, w- when it's actually proven itself with 12 years of track record and adoption. Um, what do you see as, as being next? What are the catalysts for 2021?
1: Excellent question. So I gave you the top three that would get me into it. So let me give you the last two that I see as catalysts, not only for right now, but over the next three years. Uh, Early adoption by institutional investors and hedge fund managers, okay? And then the last piece, which I wanna be a very big part of, and you guys are already a part of, so I congratulate you, is the expansion of education for the retail investor, because there's a weird thing going on right now uh, that retail investors can get ahead of the institutional investors. And so, usually, the other thing happens you know, the venture capitalists get in there, and the institutional investors get in there, and then the retail investors buy at the end. But if we can increase the awareness and the education and reduce the fear, you can get the individual. Think about this fellow libertarians. We can get the sovereign individual into the game before the statists get into the game. You guys like that? I like that. Okay, and I'm a blue collar kid. I grew up with nothing. So that's why my fund has a $50,000 minimum or I'll take 25,000 if someone tells me, you know, over the next three months, I'm gonna get it to 50, I'm going dollar-cross average into it. I wanna democratize it. I wanna open it up. And so if those two things happen, which I predict that they're happening, you're going to see an exponential lift-off in the Bitcoin network. Remember, it's not just the price of the coin; it's the exponential explosion of the network and the dramatic positive effect it's going to have on the on the world.
0: Yeah, I think the education is going to be very important with the retail investors as well because uh, we see this explosion. I think it's because of I, I would I would argue it's because of you know credit expansion and all that has turned the you know uh, stock market in, to a sort of shitcoin casino. Uh, So if you get on social media, you see, you know, an average person, they're hopping on Robin Hood, and they're just spraying shit everywhere, trying to make quick gains, Mm -hmm. Um, which in a way kind of makes sense. Like, I totally understand why they would be playing that game. But at the same time, now that we have Bitcoin, that has changed the entire, you know, calculus of how we can uh, begin thinking about Uh, more long-term economic planning, where you can actually uh, get the same incredible gains, if not better, without just the absolute uh, absurd risks, because you're focusing on just like these pure fundamentals of what makes good money, rather than just like, you know, this uh, random stock I saw was green today, so I'll buy it and sell it tomorrow when I uh, see it start to go red. Um, And so the more we can teach them about, you know, just... Uh, sound money and these very basic principles that most of us were taught as kids about uh, just simple savings. We can really help those people uh, turn their lives around in a very positive way.
1: Listen, I mean, you're saying it better than me. So I have nothing to say to any of that other than I want to be a part of it with you. So you guys are not long GameStop. (laughs)
3: <laughs> which is getting short-squeezed right
1: now. But
3: it's uh, part yeah, of the Robinhood. You no,
1: know, you know, no. I mean, you know, there's probably hedge fund managers in my portfolio that frankly are long GameStop. And so I probably have a little bit of GameStop somewhere. But I think to Michael's point, I'm less interested in that. And I'm more interested in, okay, I have my equity portfolio. The Fed took out the 60-40 portfolio. They took it out I and mean, lights out because if you're going to create 23% more money, okay, time out. Everybody, stop and think about what I'm saying. We have a 244-year-old republic known as the United States Democratic Republic, and in six months, we created 23.2 percent more dollars than existed in the prior 244 years. Okay, and let me knock on. I'm knocking on the. Okay, guys, are you? As everybody, paying attention to what I'm saying. So, look out. Okay, you got to get yourself in a position to protect yourself from the vagaries of what they're doing. They think they're saving the system and they may be helping the system short-term, but they're impairing the system long-term. And if we're not lucky, if we get unlucky, they could really create a social crisis and a political unrest that the country and the world doesn't want. Because when you print money like that, the rich get way, way rich And the poor, like, what the hell is going on with me? And all that aspiration I have for myself and my family becomes desperational. And just look at 5,500 years of history. When that happens, people are coming into the street with a pitchfork and a tiki torch. So why don't we calm it down? Let's look at the right things to do in our society to make these things fair. And hopefully we can do that. And by the way, whether you like Bitcoin or you don't like Bitcoin, Bitcoin is a part of that. Whether you like it or not, it happens to be a part of it. If you like it or not, number's going up. <laughs> and I, I, the, number, the number is going up. And here's the weird thing about it, because in every adoption curve, uh, you have the same thing. A, I hate this thing. I hate this thing. F these people. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what about. Holy shit, I missed this thing. Holy shit, I missed this thing. How do I get involved without embarrassing myself? I have to admit that I'm wrong about something. Okay, and then when that person's way up here, you and I are probably looking at each other and saying, okay, what are we going to do here? Should we sell a tiny bit up there? yes, so I, I won't know until we get there, but I'm holding my Bitcoin. Yep. Okay. And I'm telling people buy an amount of Bitcoin where it doesn't ruin your life if you lose it. And, you know, um, some of my buddies are quote unquote irresponsibly long. Okay. But you don't have to be to win this. You, you just have to be a part of it.
3: And Bitcoin being so volatile, right? which people use as a criticism so often. but really i I see it as a good thing because it helps people size their bet correctly. and so that they're not uh, getting themselves as much into trouble as they do when when they think the risk is low, when they think the volatility is low and they lever up and uh, they they get wiped
1: out. One of, yeah, yeah, no, no. Just going to say, well, yes. I would add something to that. I would add something to that. I would say that uh, the volatility is uh, born from where you are in the life cycle. So, just imagine I'm a venture capitalist, and Jeff Bezos is my founder, and we have a concentration of holders in Amazon.com, and those holders are unwinding in the portfolio of holders is expanding and diversifying, you're going to see this, particularly if big holders are dumping stock. Now the critics will say, oh, that's a pump and dump scheme by a group of people, rah, 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 rah. or they can look at it as every other adoption cycle of a network is going to have original holders that hold too much of it that are releasing it into the marketplace.
3: It's a, It's a relay race. You got to pass the baton. Um, and the the um, you, you mentioned were- you mentioned the unrest, uh, kind of the political polarization, um, people getting radicalized. Um, do 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 you see that as being? Yeah, you know, obviously it's got a lot of different causes, but one of them being the money printing itself. Um, that people want to fight over who controls the money printer because it's so
1: powerful. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, but I think it's more. I think it's more, uh, let's talk about libertarian, it's more individualized and more uh, responsive in an individual basis that grows into a collective. So I'm a worker, gonna have a lot of empathy for this situation. My dad was not college education nor was my mom and my dad was an hourly really worker. But through luck, I was raised in a family where that working wage was enough for us to live in a small house and have one bat- full bathroom. We had a small house and we, the middle class life. I would never say that my father, I would never dishonor my dad by telling anybody I grew up poor. I did not grow up poor, but I got lucky because I was in a good school system and I was able to educate myself. And my dad was this aspirational working class guy. That very same job today, as I pointed out, down 26%, we're on the poverty line looking for governmental assistance. And now my dad's working a 60 hour week and he's angry. He's like, okay, I'm doing everything I can with this crane. To provide for my wife and three children but I can't I can't make the ends meet for my family oh but let me look down the block oh there's a guy living in a 100,000 square foot mansion while I'm struggling here on this crane for my family and so it's what Bono said about the Irish in America we would drive by that house and say oh that's great someday one of my kids is going to live in that house let's keep working but in Ireland so let me go burn the fucking house down And why? Because I'm angry, because none of my kids are ever going to live in that house. And so we're losing that, guys. We're losing that. Pay attention. okay. And so if we don't rebuild that, and of course we can rebuild that, it's just good policy. It's not left or right policy. It's right or wrong policy. We can rebuild that. But if we don't rebuild that, we're going to be in trouble. And what you're saying about money printing is money printing is accidentally inciting that, it's accidentally instigating that. Because again, money printing, I own the asset, my assets going up in value, all you own is your labor, your labor's not moving, but anything is going down. So you're fucked. And so, well, well what do I going to do? Well, you should have a policy response from your government, you should have fiscal policies, social policies that should rebuild the society. But we have a bunch of jackass politicians that only give a fuck about themselves, so they're not doing that. No, all I wanna do is stay in power, I'll kiss Trump's ass if that works for me. I'll denounce Trump if it doesn't. But I, really, all I want to do is gerrymander myself to stay in power. Don't really care about these people. You see what's going on? And and so the Federal Reserve is saying, "Well, I only have one instrument. Let me print more money." But there's the, the other two legs of the stool are not in place, and so we're going to topple.
3: One more point I wanted to hit
1: on the of because we shouldn't be in that situation, but we are.
3: Yeah. The. Um, the 60-40 portfolio, the, the mix between stocks and bonds, uh, you, you said it's it's dead now. Um, is it only the bonds part that, you know, the negative yielding part that's dead? Or do, do you, like, wh- wh- what did you mean by that?
1: Well, it's not predictive. So if you said to me, it's 1985, 1995, and you were a rich person, came to see me, I'm your F.A., I would say, okay, 60, 40, tell me your age. We're gonna give you a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You're gonna be well diversified. Uh, But if we're gonna print all this money, that is no longer predictive. So what's happening is the bond market, you know, you get almost 0% interest rates. So where are these things gonna go? I guess we can go to negative rates. Bernanke, Yellen and Powell have all said that they don't wanna go to negative rates because the U.S. population is not gonna really understand negative rates. So where are you gonna go with the bond market? Go take a look at the returns in the bond market over the last five years. So in the stock market, you have a proliferation of speculative frenzy. You mentioned game stock, but what about the fang stocks? And what about the top, let's call the S&P technological 15, that are up 40% or the NASDAQ up 40%. uh, It's all going into accelerated growth. Take a look back. Anytime you've had easy money, where does it go? It goes into accelerated growth. It doesn't go into value. And so 60, 40, what am I going to do? I'm just going to own technology and no bonds. You know? So in other words, you don't have a solution anymore for people that was a vanilla esque solution because of all the money printing. That's what I mean. That the 60, 40 portfolio is that now you should ask me, well, then what would you do with the money? And so uh, you got to have a barbell approach. you got to have some money in cash. You have to have some money in Bitcoin, maybe even some money in gold, if you still like gold. Although I think Bitcoin is better at being gold than gold is at being gold, but we can all debate that. And then you should have some money in early stage investing that you have a longer tail on because we have all these disruptive technologies coming. And then you should have some money in common stock market and some money in real estate. That is not a 60-40 portfolio. That would be my recommendation to people if they want to stay wealthy and they want to grow their wealth at a, at a rate that will accelerate their cost, accelerate beyond their cost of living.
3: I, I want to connect that to, to your point about growing the network, growing the Bitcoin network, because you here's like my view is that Michael Saylor, MicroStrategy, yourself, GBTC, they are y'all are growing the network. Um, and one form in particular that I want to highlight is Michael Saylor's bond offering, where he grew the network into the fixed income portfolio managers. Uh, I saw Bill Miller, he, he had participated in that. Um, what, what's your analysis of, of that bond deal with uh, Michael Saylor?
1: Well, he's a brilliant guy. Him and I have gotten very close. You can see, you can go to uh, uh, skybridgebitcoin.com. We've done two interviews now together, but we talk regularly. He's doing on February 4th and 5th, this uh, conference, this institutional conference for treasury and CFO people, treasurer and CFO people from publicly traded companies as to why he thinks that they should all own a little Bitcoin. Uh, And I think what he did was absolutely brilliant. As you know, Morgan Stanley... Uh, through their asset management company, owns about 10% of MicroStrategy. Uh, Bill Miller, uh, who's 70, Warren Buffett's 90. It's interesting, right? Because, you know, when you're getting older, you don't like things changing on you. Warren Buffett says Bitcoin's rat poisoning. Somebody 70, 20 years junior to Warren Buffett is saying, yeah, it may be rat poisoning, but the rat may be fiat currency. You know, the point being is that, you know, you got to sometimes be young or young of heart or young of mind to see the technological revolution that's taking place. And so Michael Saylor sees it. So he puts out that bond offering. This is well-documented as public information. I don't know, seven times demand for the bond offering. It does a six, $700 million bond offering. He buys the Bitcoin. Uh, he's nuts. So the Bitcoin drops, he puts another $10 million in the Bitcoin puts it up on Twitter. Hello, I'm buying the weakness guys, pay attention. And so what do I think about it? I think it is absolutely and positively brilliant. And I'll say something that Michael Taylor, I'll channel him for a second. And I'll say something that he would say if he was sitting here with us. This is back to what Michael said, Mr. Bitstein. When you have the eureka moment, your hardest Bitcoin to buy is the first one. But once you own it and you start to understand it, you feel like you never have owned enough of it. And so that's what I think of the Michael Saylor and the brilliance of that bond offering. And I predict you could probably add this to number six of what's happening, that there'll be more corporations that put Bitcoin on their balance sheet. And by the way, we talk about number four, BlackRock has opened the door for Bitcoin and Bitcoin futures and some of their larger fixed income funds.
3: Yeah, it's funny. I'll hear people criticize public companies buying Bitcoin because to them it's like, oh, you know, now it's a... Uh, Old boys, you know, uh, now it's just rich people getting richer. But really what they're missing is that um, the stock, the S&P 500 stocks, publicly traded uh, equities, they're the most widely owned asset. And so it's, I think, crucial that they hold as much Bitcoin as possible so that we can have as wide distribution of Bitcoin as possible um, so that when things do go south, um, you know, People who hate Bitcoin will be fine because they own the SP 500 and the SP 500 own plenty of Bitcoin.
0: Yeah. I and mean, and as okay. Michael Saylor has pointed out, we get their lobbying power. Whenever more of these people are coming in, you know, they're arguing on our behalf now.
1: Right. I agree with that as well. But I don't, you know, like I said, like we, yeah, of course, I want them to argue on about our behalf and I get the lobbying power. But I think that the, it's out of the back. I mean, it's like, it's already running ramp, it's rampaging the civilization. You're not, you're not, you're not putting it back in. Okay, this, this is like, if you are, because you were talking about regrets, okay? And so <laughs> two things happen to human brains. If you are thinking about the past, you can get depressed because you got regrets. And if you're thinking about the future, particularly in a world where it has a global pandemic, you can get anxious because you're worried about the future. But what you should think to yourselves, tonight when you go to bed is I got to be super optimistic about the future. Let me explain why. Because there will be more libertarian revelations and revolutions like Bitcoin that will ridiculously make the society flatter and fairer despite current orthodoxy and where things are right at this moment in our time. And I don't know, that makes me incredibly optimistic about the future. You know, Everything you guys are talking about, there will be uh, an abundance and we need to, outside of the rubric of the governments, figure out a way to share that abundance with everybody uh, and democratize that abundance. Because if we can do that, the world will be more aspirational. The people that don't have as much will be more aspirational. And the people that have they won't be threatened by the people that don't have as much because the people that don't have as much are on their way to having, so they don't care. And so to me, I'm very, very optimistic, even though we're in a global pandemic, even though we have this social unrest, even though we had a asshole president that you know called for an insurrection on our government, which is, I mean, I don't even understand why he's not in jail, but we can talk about that on a political podcast. We don't have to talk about that on NodeCoin, whatever the fuck you call your podcast. So, but- <laughs> You know, all I'm saying is I'm super optimistic about the future.
3: On that note of hope and optimism, uh, we'll close it out. And I, I'll
1: clarify: it's the noted Bitcoin podcast. Noted Bitcoin. All right, I'm <laughs> sorry, I'm gonna
2: get a, little, <laughs> like a little carried away.
1: I'm going to take. So, you- I got a little carried away with my diatribe. It's called the Noted Bitcoin. Okay. You know, I'm we cater to, to node operators. Happy to be on the noted Bitcoin. I'm sorry. What are you saying? Well, we
0: we our podcast is like catering to node operators, you know, the people who care enough about Bitcoin to be running their own node and caring about. We're running our own node. I wanted exactly.
1: We're we're running our own node. We have our own node inside our office.
0: I I was very excited when I uh, heard you guys were doing that uh, to know, you know, Skybridge is actually you actually care about it. It's it's more than purely the number go up. Like you were saying, it's the network as a whole, uh, and and the opportunities that it presents basically humanity as a whole. Um, and I, I really appreciate, uh, sure. you know, a company taking on that actual, yeah. you know, more Absolutely. philosophical it, side it, of things.
1: It's philosophical and it's also investor friendly. And so that's a good intersection for somebody like me.
3: Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, sure. Thank you for for giving us your time. Uh, you know, we're, we're just two nobodies and uh, it means a lot to us to, to have such uh, big name guests
1: on the show. Oh, look at that. Yeah, I'm a big name. Okay. Yeah. I'm very big. All right, well, invite me back, and hopefully, I'll get you guys on my podcast as well. All right, and I wish you guys great success in what you're doing. And uh, let me know when it gets out so I can put it out on my social media page. Sounds good. Mate. All right, all right. Be well, guys. Right. Michael, get out of your pajamas. Michael, Bitstein, get out of your pajamas. Okay, <laughs> it's late in the afternoon now. Get out of the pajamas. Only when the price <laughs> <is> going up. <laughs> all
3: right, see you, Michael. All right, have a good one.